And we've been talking about this interplay, this interrelationship between faith and technology. And I was talking to somebody last week. They, they felt guilty because they're on their phone, uh, but they had a Bible app. So just, you, want, you need to know that during the sermon that if, if you use a Bible app, it's legal. You can do that, okay? We're not putting a ban on the phones for, if, you're, if you're using it for the Bible. But if you're shopping... I tell my students when I teach at Bethel, if you're shopping, if, if you're on Instagram or Facebook, uh, we'll confiscate your phone. In fact, the ushers are, are right there. So they're going to be watching. But it was interesting this morning as I was uh, on my phone, I found out on Instagram that now Maple Grove Covenant Church is following me. Awesome. <laughs> I've been here five years and it's happened. I'm so excited. But... Uh, but we're talking about faith and technology, and I just want to, for us, as we jump into this message, just to be open to uh, what God wants to do in our lives. Because as we've talked about, this, this little device here has, has redefined, it's altered our lives in so many ways in the last 10 years. And instead of this being a, a master of our lives, we want to sort of be a tool to be used because there's, there's a lot of good things as I'm going to talk about this morning. Let me pray as we start. Father God, we give thanks this morning. Thank you for our children and for them to learn more about God and the fact that their mistakes can be erased and that, uh, God, that you love them. And Lord, I lift up this message to you as I've been thinking about it and working on it for the past couple of weeks. I pray that you anoint my words and that no matter where we're at this morning, for the, those of us that are just coming off a, a fantastic weekend, others, other, others of us, we're struggling uh, we're going through a number of challenges, and I, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would meet us where we're at this morning. Some of us who have experienced a loss, some of us who are in the midst of a really a tough relationship, uh, I pray, Lord, that you'd meet us in that place. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. You know, when, it's, when, it, when it comes to, for example, on Facebook, that when we receive perhaps maybe 30 or 40 or 50 likes, it does something to us physiologically. Uh, researchers actually say that for young people, when they get a like on Facebook, it's the same, uh, it's, it sort of highlights the same circuits in our brain that when we eat chocolate. That it does something to us inside of us. And I think for many of us, whether it's that sort of feeling or the fact that we feel like someone's paying attention to us, that our lives matter, that we feel alive, sort of. Or maybe it's is as we look on, on Facebook or Instagram, we have all these friends. We have hundreds of friends. And we know uh, that per- person had vacation in Maui recently. And we know that person and their kids uh, had a sporting event uh, recently. And we feel connected, don't we? We, we feel connected, sort of. And yet when it comes to our Facebook profile, our posts, our pictures, it, it seems to present a, a um, sort of display, a presentation of ourselves that we would hope to be one day on our best day, or maybe, or maybe on a good day. And, and that's what we find as we dig into this, this, this topic is as, as we think about our phones and our online lives, because they are part of our lives, that... Uh, what we find out and what we see is this truly going to fulfill the needs of my life when it comes to my need for attention, my need to be heard, my need to not feel alone, 
The first thing mentioned in the Bible is not good. It was man is alone, and we don't want to be alone. So somehow, this device seems to fulfill that in some ways. But does it truly fulfill that? So we've been sort of uh, answering that question in a variety of ways through the series, and I want to continue with that um, as as we dig in this morning. And and before I get moving on that, I just want to simply say and reiterate uh, what I shared last week. And if you were gone last week, I encourage you to listen online to our podcast. But this is a wonderful time to be alive. Would you agree? I mean, the technology that we have these days and the different devices and phones and apps that are coming out, it's just absolutely remarkable. And what's being created in Silicon Valley uh, is just amazing what we have today. In fact, I just found out that this month, September, that I am eligible for an upgrade from AT&T. I also found out the uh, Apple's coming out with a new iPhone 7. I'm so excited. It's like a kid in a candy store, even though I probably know how to use 5% of the phone. You know, my kids show me all these different things that I don't know about, and they're like, Dad, duh, you've had this phone for a year, you don't know how to use this. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry, and they kind of show me how to use it. But, but it's, a, it's a great time to be alive. At the same time, there's, there's consequences, though. There's consequences for this technology that we have in our lives if we're not careful. We talked about that last week, and I want to carry that over this week. And one of the consequences is, is that as, as we um, engage in Facebook and Instagram, and by, by no means do I mean like they're, they're bad things, but when we get sort of sucked into that and we, we, we think that we need to post something in a certain way, or we need to craft and shape the way we look, the way we present ourselves, MIT researcher Sherry Turkle, which is one of the leading experts right now in this technology, in a book called Alone Together. I encourage you to read it. It's fascinating. And what she talks about is that what we're seeing among young people is what's called presentation anxiety. Is that they're so worried, they're so concerned of how they look online. So their pictures, their posts are, cause concern and worry to the point that they actually have anxiety. Of, of, of how they come across and how people will perceive them to be to the point where they actually lose sleep and then they, they think about the, their friends. And what happens, Turkle notes, is that this sort of online engagement becomes uh, sort of a performance. It becomes a performance. We're not, we're not posting really perhaps what we feel. It's more of a performance of how we come across to other people. And that's one of the consequences when we're so tied into our phone and online. And the thing is about texting and uh, how we engage with others. It's efficient. But what happens, though, is that when we text with others, it sort of gives us a reassuring distance from others. That we can control our message. We can control who we are. Because it's about presentation. And one of the things that I want to emphasize this morning, right off, right off the bat here, that uh, two words I want you to walk away this morning with, this is very simple, is that as we engage with technology, we need more and more of in-person. Or if you want to use an acronym, as I teach at Bethel, we have traditional classes, but one of the growing components of higher education is actually online, so we distinguish that between traditional classes and what's called face-to-face, F2F. That we need more in-person engagement because we can't live our lives di- uh, separate and distant to the, the, the point that we're able to text and we're able to kind of shape and mold who we are. 
it's not uncommon for a couple to actually divorce one another through a text message. It's not uncommon for a boyfriend to break up with a girlfriend or vice versa through, through a text message. And we're losing, we're losing this manner of life, which is absolutely essential to be human, in person. The more and more we rely on technology is that we're losing that. And when we lose that, we're losing parts of who we are. And we have to pay attention to that. And one of the, way, one of the areas that we're seeing that when we, we don't engage in person is the impact in our relational lives. I mean, truly, who are our friends? Is the 700 and some friends you have on Facebook, are, th- are those really your friends? Or however, however many you have on Instagram? There's a New York Times writer back when uh, uh, Facebook just took off, this is back in 2007, he actually did a, a test on this. And what happened is that he had 700 and some friends on Facebook, and he was really asking the question, are these really my friends? So uh, he invited all of them to his birthday party. And he got some responses like, uh, maybe, and also we got some no's, and then uh, a few uh, yeses that were sprinkled in. And what he found out when four people showed up for his birthday party, that yes means maybe and maybe means no in the online world. Who are our friends? Because our relational life isn't simply this like section of our lives, this section over here. When you go to the grocery, grocery store, what are, what are some of your favorite sections? When you go to the grocery store, when you go to Cub, when you go to Target, what are your favorite sections of the grocery store? Dairy. Dairy. What else? Bakery. There we go. Good. What else? Candy aisle. Yeah. Yeah. We all, we all have fi- kind of favorite sections of the grocery store, but we aren't sectioned in our lives. Humanity, human life is not, com- they're not compartments. We're not sections. We're an integrated whole. It's one of the main arguments of the Bible is that you and I are integrated. So therefore, our relational life has an impact on our spiritual life. They're not separate aisles or sections. Oftentimes we talk about spiritual life and growing in our spiritual life and reading the Bible, scripture memory, uh, serving, attending church, perhaps uh, giving a tithe. And those are all great things. But one of the greatest impacts in our spiritual life, in addition to those things, is our relational life. How we engage with our community, those around us. And I love how Paul talks about this. And we need in-person interactions with our friends, don't we? We need in-person, face-to-face time with our friends. And, and more and more, uh, because it's efficient and we are so busy these days, that we tend to text or perhaps a Facebook post. And we're losing out on something that is absolutely paramount to being human, and that's face-to-face, in-person. I'd like to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, because we see Paul talk about this and and model this in his own life in terms of in-person relationships and the importance that that he found when it came to um, the friends around him in his own life. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse uh, 5. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And again, you, you can pull up your Bible app on your iPhone or your Android, if you want to. When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. So right away, we know Paul's in a tough spot. 
We face conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. Face to face. In person. You know, this wasn't something that was distant. It was something that, that for Paul came at a very important time. A dear friend named Titus was there, and his presence made a difference in Paul's life, just like our friends and their presence does something for us. Verse 7, his presence was a joy. In your Bible, I like to have you underline that phrase. His presence was a joy. But so was the news he brought, the encouragement he received from you when he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me. I was filled with joy. Underline that phrase. I was filled with joy. And we, we see this connection between the relational life and the spiritual life from the Apostle Paul to have Titus and to have the news of the Macedonian church. It lifted him in a time where it was very hard for him, a very difficult time. And because he had this community, because he had this support, because he had people who were for him, it lifted him and it impacted his spiritual life. Again, we're integrated. And our relational life impacts our spiritual life. It was remarkable for me just to, just to see um, the number of people who have come around Joe Skubik uh, in our church community and also at the Holiday Station store that he worked at and old classmates. This past week has been a tough week. And uh, Joe has been fighting cancer for a number of years. And Joe has been a part of our church community for about three years. Came to Christ two years ago and then was baptized last year. And Joe passed away on Thursday at 3.40 p.m. And as he was at Abbott Northwestern and as I uh, visited there, seeing just the variety of friends, old classmates, um, fellow employees from, from holiday that were there, and then Laura and David Cody, her like surrogate moms and dads to him. And to see that, that, those relationships that Joe had. And not only that, the support they had for him, but also what I noticed too is how at different times these groups of people were kind of upholding one another. That this community was, was holding each other up. Do you have that in your life? If you were diagnosed with something and you're in the hospital, would you have that kind of community there to be with you and to support you? And seeing that in terms of, for Joe, for me, it was just remarkable. As it was breaking my heart, seeing what was happening to him as he's fighting pneumonia and the prognosis was not good. But at the same time, seeing the beauty of community and those people coming around him. And we are going to have uh, Joe's funeral here on Wednesday. There will be a visitation at 10 o'clock. I encourage you to come. And then the funeral will take place at 11 o'clock. And Joe has just been an inspiration for me in a variety of ways. And just a, just a great brother and a great friend. But uh, researcher John Townsend talks about this, is that when we talk about our life with God and our life with people, that correlation makes a difference. In fact, that the more we engage in friendships in person, face-to-face, -face, it actually improves our spiritual life. He's actually, John has found empirical data that actually, he draws out a graph that the more we engage with people in, in real life, real world, 
that in, improves our spiritual life. So maybe you're here this morning, and of course, you're asking the question, how can I grow in God more? How can I grow in my faith more? Maybe it's to engage more and more in relationships. And I want to challenge you. There's been a number of you who've been attending just in the past year. And in, during this month of September, you're going to hear a number of messages, in fact, a series on community. And we want you to join a community group. It's the one of the ways that we do life together, that we move out of these pews into circles and homes. If you're not part of a community group, you can take your communication card and check that box, and we'll follow up. And we're going to have a registration later on this month where you can sign up for a community group, and we have different days, different times, different locations. But for you to take that step, if you're not part of a community group, you need to be in one. It's the heart of Maple Grove Covenant Church where we come together. And I remember just a couple of months ago when I moved from Chaska to Plymouth, and I, I moved, I didn't, I didn't have many dishes and things like that, and my community group came around me and provided dishes and a variety of household supplies, the things that guys don't really do good at. And I'll still remember this that Sunday where they pulled me in the conference room right by the entrance door, and they had all these gifts for me. And the families and the kids were all right there and it just did something inside of me. It's like, I, I, I can't do life without this group. You know, through my hard times, I, I need people like this in my group. This is not just something like checking off the box to do a community group, but actually getting into the, the deep foundations of my life. And they're praying for me, and we're praying for each other. And, and as we do life together, there's been a variety of surgeries and challenges, and, and, and we stay connected together around God's Word, around prayer, and then also just doing life together. And I, and I just can't fathom being a part of this church community without that community group in my life. So I want to encourage you to step up and be a part of that. All right. One of the things I want to talk about, just break it down into three things, if you're taking notes this morning, is that when it comes to in-person, we need in-person dropping of the guard because one of the things that we're able, to do, that we're able to do when it comes to our online digital lives is that, again, we can craft and shape who we are and we can pre present the best versions of ourselves that it seems like we're almost sort of celebrity-like, the best pictures from the best angles. Do you, know, do you know your best angle when it comes to a picture? You know, all the good news that's happening in your life, that's what you post. But it's not real life. I mean, was the last time you, you posted and you talked about, you know, all the garbage that's happening in your life? We don't do that because we know it's not going to elicit perhaps likes or it's, it's, it's going to be depressing. So we put out all the great things about our lives. And I think all of us do that. But it's not real life. You're not dropping your guard. And what we need to do in our lives, especially in person, is to drop our guard. In other words, be vulnerable, to share about the mess of our lives. In fact, this might be a challenge for you this week. Just share what's really going on in your life. Put it out, put it out there online. Share about the messes. Share about the, the, the challenges. Share about the garbage in your life. Because Paul did that. He, he modeled that for us again. Let's turn to Romans chapter 7. In verse 15, in so many ways, uh, Paul models and shapes things for us. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. 
You know, and the nice thing about having the kids in the, during the service is that I just feel so good about doing a 45-minute sermon. <laughs> I'm joking. Okay, this is what Paul does. He drops his guard. Chapter 7, verse 15. I don't really understand myself, he says. He's a very intelligent person. I don't understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And what Paul's saying is, I'm, I'm, doing the, I'm doing stuff I shouldn't be doing. He's the Apostle Paul. He's up there. You know, he's up there on, the, on some kind of ladder or, or, or ranking. But he's saying, I do, I sin. I'm a broken person. I do what I hate. He drops his guard. How about if the next time you have coffee, perhaps at Starbucks, or you have uh, maybe a dinner, and you're sharing with some close friends that you drop your guard and just talk about, you know, this is what's going on in my life. And I had in a staff meeting recently where my staff just said, you know, asking me that question too, where it didn't seem like I was dropping my guard enough, and I appreciate them just kind of pressing in, in on that and just, you know, for me to share honestly. We need that. We need the dropping of our guard. In person, dropping the guard where we're not shaping, we're not crafting our, our communication, but actually we're, we're putting it out there. This is who, who I am. This life is a beautiful mess, and there's times where it's messy. Next, we need in-person conversations that are tough. When's the last time you had a difficult conversation with a friend or family member in person? That's tough stuff, isn't it? Because you have to improvise. There's, there's voice inflection. There's body language. You have to make eye contact, right? You have to make eye contact. You have to actually pay attention. I read a story about a young man who is in his, one of his first job interviews. And, and 10 minutes in the interview, the inter, inter, interviewer said to him, this interview is done. This conversation is done. You're not a fit for our company. And much to the chagrin of the young man. And the young man was absolutely flummoxed, confused. He said, why? We've just been talking for 10 minutes. And the interviewer said, well, during that time, you've checked your phone about 15 times. So something must be more important in that than this actual job. True story. Okay? So we need to make eye contact. We need to, to engage with those who are, are, are with us and present and to have those tough conversations. And it might be talking about something that's going to be really tense and it's going to be hard, but it is so good for our character, our spiritual development, to share with the person and to say, you know what, we need to talk about this. I feel this rift. I feel this tension. I, we, we need to talk, kind of walk this through. And it may not be solved in that first conversation, but having those tough conversations is very important. Again, Paul models that for us in Galatians. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. And I think oftentimes we don't see, the, we don't see uh, this passage very often in terms of what, what Paul does with Peter. And if you remember the story, Peter um, had become a leader of the early church, and things were going really, really well for him. And yet in the, in the early church, the, the first church in Jerusalem, uh, something was happening in terms of uh, Peter and his relationship with uh, the uh, folks that were coming to church. In fact, we pick it up here in uh, Galatians chapter 2. And let's see, is that right? 
Yep, verse 11. And it starts off with, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. This is Paul talking. For what he did was very wrong. And what, we, what he's, I'm just going to summarize the next few verses. And what he was wrong is that Peter, when it came to lunchtime or the meal, he was, he was, he was sitting with the Jewish believers after James showed up. And, and as a result, he became very partial to the Jewish believers. And it sort of got to the message that the Gentile believers were not really up to being a true follower because they weren't circumcised. They weren't following the, the Jewish traditions and laws. And, and we pick it up here in terms of uh, what, what Paul does. When I saw that they were not following the true, truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of the, all, all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the, the Jewish traditions? Having a tough conversation. We need more of that where we talk directly with people. And, and I'm not saying insult them, but actually to talk, talk it through face-to-face. Not to do through a text message or, or a voicemail or something like that, but actually to have it face-to-face. Also, we need in-person apologies and forgiveness. When's the last time we apologized? When's the last time you apologized? When's the last time I apologized face-to-face? I think it's, it's a little bit easy for us to send, again, a text message or perhaps an email to sort of apologize to a person. But how about face-to-face? You know, a friend of mine left me a voicemail two and a half weeks ago, and this message has convicted me. I need to apologize to him for not getting back to him. And not to put conditions on it. Not to say, well, I received your voicemail, but I was really busy. He knows I'm busy. Or, I'm really sorry, but... Get rid of the but. Just fully apologize. It's amazing when you do that. I love how, what James talks about in James 5, 16. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. One of the things he's talking about is not simply confessing your sins, but the application is for you to apologize, to come clean, and to share what's happened and, and to ask for forgiveness for that. One of the things that we're seeing, actually one of the trends that Turkle talks about online is what's called online confessionals where people anonymously will go on to different sites, different forums, and share all the junk from their lives. And yet, it doesn't really remove the shame and guilt like a face-to-face or in-person apology or just a confessional would do. We need more in-person apologies. And then also forgiveness. And to hear those words in person, when we wrong somebody, I forgive you. There's not many more things that are powerful like that. I forgive you. Parents, are you modeling that for your kids? First apologizing and then also forgiveness. I forgive you. Reminds me of a person I know that uh, he asked his wife to go to a baseball game. Not the twins. uh, But he asked his wife to go to a baseball game. And she said, no, I can't. I have a surprise birthday party for my friend. And he said, no, I checked the calendar. It's on a different night. She said, okay, let's go to the game. So we went to the baseball game. They're having a great time. It's a beautiful summer night. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the game, her phone rings. And the husband of her friend, who had planned the surprise birthday party, said, where are you? Everybody's here. 
and her heart just sunk. And her husband felt horrible. And he apologized profusely. He said, I, I, I screwed up. I am so sorry. And then at one point, she just said, you know what? I, I forgive you. Not immediate, because she was a little irked, of course. But she said, I forgive you. And this, this guy said, what that did in terms of that night and what that has done for the relationship and what has that done for his own relationship with God to realize that's what God says to him every day, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. We need in person words of forgiveness. And we see that, for example, in the life of Joseph. And I'm just going to summarize this. I'm not going to read it as we're running out of time here. But Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers. And many years he spent in jail in uh, Egypt as a result of his brother's manipulation and what they did to him. And finally, there was a famine in the land, um, and his brothers come to Egypt in, in need of help. And Joseph, by that time, is the second man in charge. And he, he says to his brothers, I am Joseph, your brother. In a way, if you read that passage, he says, I forgive you. Because God had a greater plan. He wanted me in this position to be able to help during this time of famine. So for us to offer that, to drop our guard, uh, for us to have those in-person conversations that are tough, and then also for us to have those times of apologies and forgiveness will do a lot for our lives. Let, let me pray. God, open our eyes. We're here in a room with people who are here to help where your hands and feet give us the courage this week to reach out to those friends, to seek someone out. In doing so, may we be a presence of grace. May we be a comfort to them. And God, each of us wants attention. Each of us wants to be heard. Each of us not, doesn't want to be alone. So God, help us as a community, help us individually to be people that come along one another, that spend time face-to-face. Technology is wonderful. We live in a wonderful time. But let us not forget the power of our presence. In Christ's name, amen.